Hello. <laughs> Hi, how are you guys? <laughs> uh, I could be better. Could you? But well, we, we have uh, podcasting to do, drunken science. Excellent. Let's, let's talk about what, what are we talking about today. I'm going to be talking about the massively exciting subject of offshore drilling. <laughs> Excellent. I bet you cannot wait. Uh, I can hear the sound of a... Of, of people turning off this thing as we speak. Right, just to get on with it then. <laughs> Talking about just oil, we we consume about a million barrels a day of it. Only a million. Only a million. Just a million, and not millions. Okay. So we're constantly looking for new sources of it, since it's only a finite source. And considering that the oceans cover over two-thirds of the planet, you would expect what, Gav? I, I would expect a lot of it to be on the moon. No, we wouldn't. Mm. We would expect a lot of it to be under the oceans. Not, not the moon, then. No. And guess where it all is, Gav? Is it on the moon? No. It is under the oceans. Uh-huh. So drilling under the oceans, uh, it obviously poses a lot more difficulty than it does drilling on land. You've got the problem of uh, once you've drilled into the deposit, how to get it back up to the surface. Yep. How to stop it polluting the uh, ocean. You've got sharks. You've got sharks, yeah. James Cameron. Mm-hmm. How to deny responsibility when you do pollute the ocean. And uh, how to do it all in the midst of rough and unpredictable sea weather. <laughs> That's why I called it sea weather. Sea weather. So the very first drilling platform then uh, was uh, constructed in 1897. I've told you before about doing history. What did you tell me? I told you not you can't do history. I said I can do history, and I'm going to do it. So and that was off the uh, end of a wharf in California. What, what like Lieutenant Wharf? Yeah. Okay. He he laid down and uh, somebody drilled off him. <laughs> I bet they did. In the years to follow, they uh, pushed out to piers and uh, man-made islands. And in 1928, a Texan oilman... Oh, that's unusual. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah, i never heard of a Texan oilman before. Yeah. Well, but what he did, he, uh, he kitted out a barge of sorts uh, with a drilling rig and essentially made the world's first mobile drilling platform. Fantastic. Those Texan oilmen. Crazy. So now we've got some truly massive uh, structures uh, in very remote locations and some of them tower even the uh, tallest skyscrapers. But that's below the sea as well. Yeah, yeah, but the, the, yeah, the total height of the structure is, is like way bigger than any skyscraper. It's like the, the biggest mountain on earth is... Some Hawaiian volcano, I think. Because it's not above sea level. Yeah. Hmm. Science, girl. Science. So, uh, yeah, uh, what they do when they first start drilling them, mm-hmm. uh, they drill an exploratory well. Uh, the first step is uh, a con- an operator, like a British gas or something like that. They conduct a geological survey of the area to determine potential for deposits and then they have to uh, obtain drilling rights from like state from the states or nations or the governments that own the land most of the coast and ocean belongs to some state or nation 
Once that's sorted, uh, an exploratory well is dug by a contractor, which, depending on complexity, can take as little as 15 days, or even up to a year of non-stop, round-the-clock, seven days a week operation. Sounds like a lot of effort. It does. They, uh, they use the drill uh, for sort of temporary wells, which is in the vein of sticking a straw in a cake. It's like a Star Trek yeah. TNG episode. Yeah. And then pulling it out and seeing if there's uh, some a jam layer or it's something. Just seeing if there's, a, if there's cake. Yeah. <laughs> and then realising well, that was a stupid cake? idea. <coughs> so yeah, once they've done that uh, and they've discovered a deposit, it's time to make a production well. Uh, to do this, uh, they build a long bendy tube, like a bendy straw. But it, it's, uh, it's made in sections uh, with ball and slip joints that allows it to bend so it can move with the rolling of the sea. Interesting. The the actual drill goes through the middle of this, uh, which is basically a drill bit on the end of sort of many sections of pipe which are screwed together. This is called the drill string. The extra sections are added to the drill string as it goes further down. Uh, to help keep the whole thing steady, drilling mud is uh, pumped through the whole thing, which acts both as a lubricant for the drill and also brings back debris that the drill produces, which is then filtered before being circulated by down the pipe. At the sea floor, you've got a sort of like a, a, a metal template you aim for that you fix at the drill site. Mm-hmm. And the drill has to pass through, uh, what, through some safety valves, which are called BOPs, blowout preventers. Uh, they basically the design to control unexpected eruptions of oil and gas, etc. Don't ask me how they work. I assume by magic. You know what else works by magic? Magic. <laughs> magic does indeed work by magic. Yeah, you see. But anyway, yes. When when the oil gushes up the well, anyway, hydraulic valves in the uh, BOPs on the rams they seal the riser and divert the oil flow into different reservoirs. Uh, the well itself is drilled in three sections. Uh, the the first section is drilled to about uh, an 18-inch diameter and about several thousand feet. Then the drill string is removed. Uh, a hollow pipe casing is put into this hole to help prevent cavings and leaks. And then a small one, 12 diameter. Caves? Oh. Did you say caves? Caves, yes. It all links to Dr. <laughs> Yeah, so that's repeated, and then the third stage is uh, an 8 diameter hole, which goes down to the deposit. And once the deposit is hit, uh, something called a packer is sent down, uh, which expands against the tubes and seals it off. Only temporarily, though. So that when uh, the seal that is removed, it doesn't all come gushing out due to the pressure, the, the small hole and that. Explosives are sent down to widen oh. the hole. So you've got holes, ball joints, and gushing. Yes. See, it's exciting. <laughs> so, so yeah, they, they expand the hole, and then they remove the plug, and the, the deposit under its own pressure comes uh, streaming up the the riser. Once the natural pe- pressures have uh, declined to a point where it stops coming out under its own steam, uh, pumps can then be sent down. Or you can send uh, water down to increase the pressure, or even heat it up with compressed steam, hmm. just to keep it going. 
Yeah, most of the time what comes up is a, a mixture of crude oil, natural gas and water and sediment. Uh, the natural gas can either be uh, wet or dry gas. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, uh, I think we're all familiar with wet or dry gas. Yes. It's, uh, wet gas isn't very pleasant, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's got vaporised liquids in it that need to be filtered out. Dry's fine. Well then, uh, yeah, pipelines and oil tankers uh, then take uh, that gas and the oil back to shore. Uh, Not all wells need to go straight down either. Uh, Some can be angled and drilled away from the platform, and some rigs can have up to 80 different wells. 80? A good oil supply can last up to 20 years before it becomes no longer profitable. Even after that, the uh, oil rigs can find life as a processing plant for nearby oil rigs, or just for storage, or as a base for a supervillain. Like bluefabs in diamonds or forever. Or they're just basically separated from the moorings and dragged back to shore for scrap. Or relocated to a new site. Uh, Onto the uh, rigs themselves, as the generally selected for the suitability of the job and... uh, Generally, in depths of up to 400 foot, jack up rigs are used. Uh, um, up to 12,000 feet as uh, the generally used floaters. Which, uh, floaters? Yeah. Submersibles are just. It's just disgusting, this entire thing. <laughs> yeah, basically, a, a jack up rib. Rib? Rig? That's. Uh, it's got three or four movable legs. Where, so the platform can basically be uh, jacked up and down. Uh, it's. It's anchored to the seafloor, and the drilling platform's raised above the sea level to uh, basically provide stability. Uh, then you've got submersibles, which is used in shallow waters. These also make contact with the uh, floor, but when moving them, they've got two holes, the upper one used for drilling and crews, and the lower one, they fill that with air to provide buoyancy, and then they can move it to a new position before releasing the air. Then the semi-submersibles, which are similar again, but when in drilling position, the lower hull is filled with water to partially submerge it, which along with anchors that can weigh upwards of 10 ton, help to stabilize it. These are used in deeper waters. There's also uh, drill ships, which is basically just a ship with a hole in them, <laughs> which that can then lower a, a drill through. Doesn't seem very safe at all. Mm. I'm sure they know what they're doing. So the same. But they've, they've got a sophisticated compute system of uh, motors and sensors and GPS to keep track and keep it directly above the drill site at all times. And uh, one of the largest types of uh, platforms in use is uh, a spar platform, which has a huge cylinder extending down. These are anchored to the seafloor by cables. The large cylinder stabilises the platform and allows for movement so that it's able to also withstand potential hurricanes. The first bar platform in the Gulf of Mexico had a cylinder 70 foot wide and 770 foot long. They're all about size, you know. It is. It's all about the size. Well anyway, that is the exciting world of offshore drilling. Super twist. Super twists.